Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Father, we want to meet you afresh this morning. And we thank you, Lord, you've given us a channel through which we can contact you and you can contact us. That's your word. And we're just praying, Lord, that you'd breathe upon Genesis 32. Make it living. Make it alive to us, Lord. I pray that you would specifically uh, highlight to each of us that area of Genesis 32 that you want to apply to our lives individually. So, Father, we thank you. We give you the time. We come with an expectant heart, Lord, to meet you at this early hour. And I just lift up each of my brothers and sisters, Lord. Just touch them, touch myself. And we thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> We're reading Genesis 32, and then we will take it apart. Now, as Jacob went on his way, the angels of God met him. And Jacob said, when he saw them, this is God's camp. So he named the place Mahahim. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He also commanded them, saying, Thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. And I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female servants. And I have sent to tell my Lord that I might find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and furthermore, he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. That Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. For he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the company which is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who did say to me, return to your country and to your relatives, and I will prosper you. I am unworthy of all the unkindness, of the loving kindness, and all the faithfulness which thou hast shown to thy servant. With my staff only I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mothers with the children. For thou dost say, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he spent the night there. Then he selected from what he had had with a present for his brother Esau. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their colts, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and 10 male donkeys. And he delivered them into the hand of the servants, every drove by itself, and said to the servants, pass on before me and put a space between the droves. And he commanded one in front saying, 
Will my brother meet you? And as you saying, to whom do you belong? Where are you going? And to whom do these animals in front of you belong? Then you shall say, these belong to your servant Jacob. It is a present sent to my Lord Esau. And behold, he's also behind us. <clears throat> then he commanded also the second and the third and all those who followed the droves, saying, after this manner, you shall speak to Esau when you find him. You shall say, behold, your servant Jacob also is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. Then afterward, I'll see his face. Perhaps will he accept me. So the present passed on before him while he himself spent the night at the camp. Now he arose that same night and took his two wives, his two maids, and his 11 children across the ford of the Jacob. And he took them and sent them across the stream. He sent across whatever he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So the angel said to him, what's your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Peniel and was limping on his thigh. Therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh and the sinew of the hip. Okay, so here we go. As we're looking at Genesis 32, uh, there's six points. Uh, I think they come to me as I, I kind of break this chapter down. First point is God's loving kindness and his faithfulness. Uh, number two, honesty and prayer. Three, wrestling with God. Four, persistence. Five, a new name. And six, walking with a limp. So that's kind of where I'd like us to go. So let's take a look. Uh, so number one, let's look at the idea of God's loving kindness and his faithfulness. <clears throat> Backing up a little bit, Genesis 31, 3, it says this, The Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I'll be with you. That's kind of a rough statement. I believe for Jacob to hear, because if you go back where we were last week, there was a rivalry between Jacob and Esau. And Jacob deceitfully took the birthright from his brother. That really ticked off Esau. And Esau got angry and he used to basically say, you know, if I get a hold of Jacob, I'm going to kill him. So at that point, Jacob flees. He gets as far away from Esau as he can because he wants to live. But here in Genesis 31, God's very clear and says, okay, Jacob, I want you to return home. Stop running. And I know in my heart that would, if I was in 
Jacob's boots, I, I would be shaking up because that means I have to encounter my brother who last I know is very upset with me and may want to bump me off. So this is a, a, a tough situation, but you got to give Jacob credit. He obeys God. He doesn't run. He hears the Lord. He moves forward. So if you look at 32, uh, one, now as Jacob went on his way, the angels of God met him. And Jacob said when he saw them, this is God's camp. So he named the place Mahaham. So <clears throat> I think it's interesting. Why does it start that way? It seems to me that somehow as Jacob is responding in obedience to God, God, I believe, somehow wants to encourage Jacob. And he does this by sending these two angels. I don't know all the ins and outs, but I kind of believe that that's why he permits the angels to show up. And I just want to emphasize here, uh, when you're looking at angels, the Bible is a supernatural book. Let me say it again. The Bible is a supernatural book. It goes beyond the natural that we see with our eyes, hear with our ears, touch with our hands. It, it is supernatural. It brings the invisible world into our visible world. So just know all through the Bible, there are all kinds of things like angels, there's demons, there's miracles, there's healings, all kinds of different things that can only be explained by the supernatural. So, okay, Jacob responds in obedience. I believe he's encouraged. <clears throat> but now it gets to where the tire meets the road, verse 3. Jacob sent messages before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Eden. He also commanded them, saying, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I've sojourned with Laban. I've stayed until now. I have oxen. He's talking about all the good things he has, oxen, donkeys, flocks, male and female servants. I said to tell my lord that I might find favor in your sight. <clears throat> so he's beginning to reach out to Esau. Uh, but the messengers that come back from Esau to Jacob bring some uh, interesting news. Six, and the messengers return to Jacob saying, we have come to your brother Esau. Furthermore, he's coming to meet you and 400 men are with him. Now, if you heard that, 400 men are coming against this, this group, that would strike fear in your heart. Like, in other words, I believe Jacob's thinking, uh oh, this is not a good scene. My brother's out to get me. He's outnumbered me. There's 400 men. I am in a big mess. I'm just kind of putting through my head what I think at that point Jacob felt. And you can see he is definitely upset. Look at verse 7. That Jacob was greatly afraid. He was distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. For he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the company which is left will escape. So, you know, Jacob is smart. He, he says, okay, this is bad scene, but maybe I can save half the group if I split them. Because if Esau attacks one group, the other group can flee, and at least I've saved half of my family. Now Jacob begins to do the, the prayer. Verse 9, Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, God of Isaac, my father, O Lord, who did say to me, return to your country 
and to your relatives, and I will prosper you. I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which thou hast shown to thy servant. For with my staff only I crossed this Jordan, and now I've become two companies. So he starts the thing, and he, he basically affirms who God is. He says, God, you've been loving, you've been kind, you've been faithful to me. And he said, basically, I started as a, a, a small group of people, but you've multiplied my family. We've got into a great group of people. So, Lord, you've been loving, and you have been kind. So, to me, I think it's really important for each of us to take time literally to meditate upon God's loving kindness and his faithfulness to us personally. He does that generally to the world, but that we could actually take time to think about how has God shown his loving kindness to me? How has God been faithful to me? To me, this is just personally, I think the greatest fact in the Bible uh, is the fact that God loves us. God loves us. And the Bible is very clear. He loves us affectionately, tenderly. The Bible says not only that, that God loves us passionately. He is pursuing us with everything within himself. We're also told in the Bible that he loves us unconditionally, without any condition. He loves us just because we breathe air. And last, that he loves us sacrificially. And that's so proven as he sent his son into the world to die on a cross for our sins. So I believe God loves us uniquely. And I believe he shows this love sometimes directly. Sometimes he shows that love through people. Okay. Sometimes he shows that love through circumstances. But all the time, God is trying to reach out. Just like the, the sun is shining, it, it wants to give out light. That's God's heart. He wants to love us. There's nothing we can do that can stop it because that's just who he is. The Bible's clear. God is love. And I just want to stop here and say, never settle for just an intellectual understanding of the fact that God is love. Don't settle just for an intellectual understanding. No, go for an experience. Pray for that. In, a, in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul prays, and he clearly prays that we can know the love of Christ, not just in the brain, not just cerebrally, not just intellectually, but in our hearts. We can actually have an encounter with the love of God. It will change your life, and that's a work of the Holy Spirit. He is the one uh, that is able to throw the switch and make that love real. So not only is God loving, the Bible says he is faithful. And I, I believe by that, that means he is consistently always seeking your good and mine. He's always for us. He is consistently, as I said, seeking what's best in your life and mine. So what I would encourage you to do, I try to do this, is keep a journal. Literally, take a piece of uh, paper, a pen. And get a little journal. And then when you see God move in your life, and, you know, if you're open, folks, he's going to move somehow, some way. And when you see him move, take a pen and write it down and say, this is what God did. Look, he showed his love here. Oh, look at how faithful he was here. And as you're able to do that, you can recount as you go back over the years, just 
your history, your personal history of, of encountering the love of God and encountering his faithfulness. And sometimes you don't see his faithfulness till something passes. An illustration for me, for a while back, I like for three weeks, I was a mess. I didn't know if it was allergy season, a cold, the flu, but for three weeks, I was just kind of miserable, didn't have any energy. And I'm saying, Lord, I make no sense of this. It doesn't feel good. I don't see anything positive happening. But as it passed, and as I looked back, I could see that God was trying to teach me a greater dependence on him. Kind of like sometimes situations bring you to the end of yourself. And it's changed the way I pray. It's so easy for me to go to God. God, would you do this? God, would you do that? Da, 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 da. And more and more I'm seeing the more helpless I am, the more dependent I am. All I can do is wait on God and say, Lord, you got to tell me what's on your mind. You got to give me the strength to pull whatever is on your mind because I can't do anything. So um, as I look back, God was faithful. Was it fun in, the, in between? Not the least. But again, I wrote it down. And when I have a bad time, I can go back and say, look at that. God did this. God did this. God did this. He's loving. He's kind. He's faithful. Okay. <clears throat> That's number one. God is loving and kind and faithful. Now, basically, Jacob continues to pray. Uh, 11. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me, the mothers with the children. I like what Jacob said. He's straight on. He's not playing games, you know, all oh, thou Lord, you know, big words. No, no. He comes right to the point. He says, God, quite honestly, I am scared out of my mind. I have fear. <clears throat> it's not a dress up prayer. He's just, just straight, honest with God. And I think God loves prayer that comes from an honest heart. Uh, let me just give you <clears throat> a couple of illustrations. Uh, the Psalms are great prayers because they're not all uh, dolled up. They're just straight from the psalmist's heart. Listen to this one. Uh, Psalms chapter 6, verse 2 and 3. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am pining away. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are dismayed. My soul is greatly dismayed. But thou, O Lord, how long? He's just plain honest. Psalm 7, 1. O Lord, my God, in thee I have taken refuge. Save me from all those who pursue me and deliver me. Lest he tear my soul like a lion, dragging me away, while there's none to deliver. Then there's Psalm 10, 1. <clears throat> Why dost thou stand afar off, O God? Why dost thou hide thyself in times of trouble? Haven't we all been there? Look, where are you, God? I'm hurting bad, and the lights are out. Like, what's going on? And then you, you hear the classic Psalm, Psalm 22.1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So I believe it's really important to pray honestly. Tell God exactly how you fear, whatever it is, because I think God wants honest communication. Now, if you go and look at uh, Genesis 32 uh, and verses 13 to 20. You see that Jacob's trying to butter up Esau. 
He's, he, he, before he sees this, he says, he says, he has a plan. I'm going to send all these animals ahead. And uh, I'm going to do that in increments, you know, kind of like I'm going to try to win them over. And basically, what's the plan? Verse 20. I will appease him with the present that goes before me. Then afterward, I'll see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So Jacob's trying real hard to keep alive and save his family. So be honest in prayer. Number three, wrestling with God. Okay, here we go. If you look at verse 24, Jacob sends all the family away. And now it's just between him and his maker. Okay, 24. That Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Now, I don't know about you, but when I am really going through the ringer, I mean like the ringer, ringer, my human instinct is to do exactly what Jacob did. That is mean to get away from everybody, get into a secluded place, and pour my guts out. I don't think that's a bad strategy at all. And we know that Jacob, as he's alone, wrestles with this, this man. Uh, as we can see the context, the man is not just a man. Actually, he is an angel. And when you look about that, um, basically, uh, he's wrestling with God himself. So have you ever been there? I, I can't imagine that you've not been there. I have been there many times where literally... There's a wrestling match going on between God and me, and there's a struggle. There's a battle. Like, God, you got to do something. You got to break in here, or I'm in a big mess. I'll give you an illustration. I'll just give you one, but I've had many. Uh, as a seminary student, and I was told at the church where I was interning to do my first sermon, and that got me rattled in a big way. I was so utterly nervous that Saturday night before the first Sunday, I mean, I could not sleep. That's not a good way to go into the next day. So not only did I not sleep, when I got there to the church, I mean, I could literally feel me shaking on the inside. I'm standing up behind the pulpit. And the instinct was, you know, I think I'm going to throw up on the pulpit. Now, I thought that's not a good way to start your ministry. Not a good way. I mean, I was scared spitless. Well, God was gracious, got me through it. But let me give you an, an instance where I wrestled with God. So later that night, I go back to the seminary. I had a, a, just a room just for myself. I turned the lock, turned the lights off, and then I prayed this prayer. I can remember it because it was so painful as if it was yesterday. And I said this, God, if you think I'm going through this hell, Every Saturday night, you got to be kidding. I'll do this, but you're going to have to make it a lot easier or I'm out of here. And that was just a gutsy wrestling with God. And you know, the Lord was faithful. The butterflies didn't instantly disappear. But as I went forward, it got easier and easier and easier. There's another illustration, again, that God was faithful. And I saw it. But you've been there. Maybe you're there today. I don't know what you've gone through. I, I can't imagine with the people on the screen that some of you are not going through a major crisis. And you're trying to figure out, like, God, what are you doing? Like, I don't get it. Lord, like, help. 
breakthrough, whatever. But I think we need to wrestle and we need to pour out our hearts to the Lord. So number four, I think persistence is important when we're praying. If you look at verse 26. So basically, um, well, let me go to 25. So basically the angel wrestles with him, throws his hip out of joint. It's dislocated. 26, uh, then basically, um, at that point, the angel says, let me go for the dawn's breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I can see Jacob hanging on to the angel. He said, no, I am not given. I am hanging on for dear life. I will not let you go unless you put a blessing on me. I mean, he means business. And sometimes I think our prayers are so, oh, I don't know. So weak, so feeble. There's no oomph in there. There's no passion. There's no strong desire. And maybe a lot of things don't happen because our prayers are so casual. Well, believe me, this isn't casual at this point. Jacob is persisting, saying, I'm not letting you go till I get the blessing. And it reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7. He said, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it'll be opened. If you actually look at the Greek, it would be ask, Jesus says, and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking and knock and keep knocking. I think there's a problem in our society means we want everything now. I like what somebody said the other day, and maybe you have this. Have you ever been there at a light, a red light, and you said like, when is the green light going on? Come on, come on, come on, come on, get this thing going. Or somebody stalls just a little bit in front of your car. You know, when the light turns green, they're, they're not off and wrong. They just kind of lag a little bit. It's like, and you could feel inside, like, come on, come on, move. We want things to happen. It's a microwave society. It's instant texting. It's like, I don't want to wait. I don't want to persevere. I don't want to be patient. Basically, I want it now. And I like there's a story once. Uh, some kind of like a cartoon and people die, they get to heaven and angels are just, just kind of showing them around heaven. And they, they show them this one room and this room is filled with tons of packages. And the person that died and went to heaven is scratching their head like, what are these packages? And the angel said, well, the packages are all the things I wanted to give my people, but they didn't, they didn't want them bad enough. They didn't persevere. So they're just, they missed the, the deal. So maybe we miss things because we give up too soon. And God does not always give instant answers. Sometimes we have to pray through, and that may take weeks, months, and by the way, it may take years to see answers to your prayers. So, okay, uh, number seven, a new name. Uh, verse 27. What's your name? Uh, the angel says, and Jacob says, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, <clears throat> for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Okay. God says, basically, through the angel, guess what, Jacob? I'm giving you a brand new name. Jacob meant supplanter or deceiver. Not a nice name. How would you like your nickname to be deceiver? No, no. He said, no, I've given you a new name, Jacob. And the new name is Israel, meaning prince with God. In other words, God's saying to Jacob, you're royalty. You are royalty. 
So I think it's so interesting that as Jacob pushed in and on with God, God gave him a brand new identity, that he's royalty. And friends, when we give our life to Christ, you have a brand new identity. You're a new person. Look at this. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, 17, it says this, therefore, if anybody be in Christ, they are a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So, okay, when you became a Christian, you are brand new. You are supernaturally born again, and you have God's DNA in you through the person of the Holy Spirit. The Bible calls you a child of God. The Bible calls you the beloved of God. The Bible calls you the bride of Christ. In Ephesians 1.3, it says you're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In Romans, we're told that we're more than conquerors, and I could give you more and more descriptions of who you are in Christ. So if you want a homework assignment, now it's going to take you a bit of doing. It'll take you a while, but it's, it's a neat study. And that's go through all Paul's letters and see how many times he says, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. He says, in Christ, you're righteous. In Christ, you have peace. In Christ, you have joy. It's interesting. You have inherited a, an amazing spiritual bank account in Christ. And you and I have to learn to make withdrawals on what God has deposited in our spiritual bank account. The problem is, if we don't know who we are in Christ, I can't make the withdrawal into my everyday life. So I'd encourage you, when you have a chance, read Paul's letters and just check out in Christ all that God has put within your spiritual bank account. Okay, and last uh, but not least, maybe the one I enjoy the most is walking with a limp. If you see 25, verse 25, Jacob's hip is dislocated. And 31, it says this, Now the sun arose upon Jacob, just as he crossed over Penuel, and he was limping on his thigh. He was limping on his thigh. I believe Jacob had a physical, literally a physical limp. His hip was whacked out. But I believe not only in this incident did Jacob have a physical limp, I believe he also had a spiritual limp. Okay? Um, so it's not just him. Uh, other people in the Bible, God just seems to be allowing them to get limps. Abraham. Joseph, David, Elijah, go through the Bible. People have, I'm not talking a literal physical limp, a weakness that's very clearly shown in them. So let me just say this, as we're beginning to tie this up here, God's ultimate objective, let me say it again, God's ultimate objective is that Christ would be able to shine through your personality and my personality unhindered and undeflected, so that when he would see us, he would clearly see Jesus shining through us without any obstructions. The problem is, in each of us, is we have blocks in our lives, blocks that stop the Jesus in us from coming out of us and shining out of us. We have blocks, and, and here's a big problem. We don't even know what the blocks are. 
so we can't even address them because they're hidden underneath the surface. And God loves you and I so much. He loves you and I so much that he wants those blocks to come to the surface so we can deal with them so that more of Jesus can shine through. So how does God deal with the blocks? This is the way I see it. Most of the time, God deals with the blocks by allowing trials, pain, heartache, problems to come into our lives. Are they fun? Absolutely not. Are they painful? You better believe they are. But I believe God allows these hard times, and you check it out in your own personal experience. God allows hard times to reveal the blocks, to reveal the weaknesses, to show the lack of faith, the lack of obedience, the lack of patience, the lack of love, the lack of forgiveness. There's two major lessons I think we need to learn. The first major lesson is we are weak. Okay? I don't think we get that the first time we hear it in the Bible. Jesus said in John 15, 5, he says, apart from me, what? You can do what? Nothing. Zero. I think many times we think we can pull things off. Jacob thought he could pull it off. He was a deceiver. He tried his very best shot to make things happen. And God had to allow him to see his own weakness. And that's what happened when his hip was dislocated and he was brought to the end of himself. I like what somebody said, God can't use us till we're first broken. Broken of trust in my abilities, trust in my initiatives, trust in anything where I'm trying to make it happen. We have to be brought to the end of ourselves, and that happens through the hard times and the squeezes of trials. And then we get to the point like, kind of like where I was after those, those three weeks, like, oh, Lord, I, I can't do nothing, 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 nothing. I mean, I'll keep saying it, nothing. But God can bring good out of nothing. Let me give you an illustration as we really begin to wrap up. Uh, a person who had a big, big limp, by the way, was the Apostle Paul, probably one of the greatest, if not the greatest person God used besides Jesus in the New Testament. And Paul was given visions. I mean, he was like, wow, just blessed. But it said that in, uh, this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, it says this, uh, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me to keep me from exalting myself. We don't know what that thorn in the flesh was, but it did a number on Paul. And it said, uh, concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart. He said, God, get this thing out. It's driving me nuts. I'm weak. I don't like it. Lord, remove it. Now get what Jesus said. The Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is what? Perfected in your weakness. I mean, we got to let that one sit in our hearts. My power is perfected in your weakness. 
God just doesn't want to bring us to the end of ourselves through the trials and the pains of life. He doesn't want us just to sit there with weakness. He says, I'm allowing you to become weak. So now you can begin to tap into my strength so that my strength can flow through your weakness and I can get the glory. And guess what? Paul got it. He got it. He got the message. Let me read nine again. The Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Paul said this, most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses. Here it is, that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Get verse 10. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. There it is. The two major lessons God's trying to get in your life and mine. Number one, show us we're weak. And that's through trials, pain, or whatever. But God doesn't leave us in the weakness. He says, now, when you're weak, let me loose. Let my strength, let my power that's in you flow through you. Paul put it this way. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things. How? Through Christ who strengthens me. So folks, God is going to bring us to a limit somehow, some way. God is definitely after to make us see that we are weak. Trials and pain will come, but he's not doing this to destroy you. He's just trying to get you out of the way so that he can shine through you without any blocks, without any hindrances. And when that happens, man, oh man, God can use this to change the world. So there it is. God is loving, he's kind, and he's faithful. Be honest in prayer. Don't be afraid to wrestle with God. Be honest with him. Be persistent. Don't give up easily. Realize you have a new name and the one I like the best. Walk with a limp. But in your weakness, let the strength of Jesus shine. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for an amazing chapter with so many good points that we can apply. I know, Lord, you want to get out of each of us. You're in us, Lord, but you don't want to be locked deep down in our spirits. You want freedom to work through our personalities. And Lord, I know you're working on everybody on this screen, every single one, Lord. Uh, you're the master potter and you're shaping us and you're molding us through life, through the good, the bad, the ugly. So, Lord, help us like Paul to embrace our weaknesses, to say, Lord, I'm weak. Yeah, I get it. But, Lord, I pray that in each of our weaknesses, your strength, your presence, your power could shine forth, Lord, so that you get the glory, not us, but that you could get the glory. And we thank you, Lord. I thank you for each one on the screen. And, Lord, if there's anyone here that's right in that crisis point, Lord, when they are wrestling with you and they're at the end of themselves, Lord, give them grace and just break through in a very special way. So we thank you, Lord, and we pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen.